For the last four weeks now in our bulletin, everyone, we've been providing what we're calling our Reclaiming Sunday guide for you or your family to assist all of our efforts in doing the most important task, or a very important task, I should say, of reclaiming Sundays for the Lord. We know how tempting it is just to see Sunday as another day, but of course, for the Christian, it's not. Sundays are different. Not just because we go to Mass that day, but Sundays are, of course, the Lord's Day. And so what we're doing here at St. Mary's this year is putting all kinds of effort to give practical, helpful, inspiring ways for families to keep Sundays the Lord's Day. And so every week, as you know by now, I hope, the last month, we've been providing this guide in the bulletin. Just a quick recap, and I'm going to connect it to the gospel here in just a moment. Uh, so every week we're providing the gospel text. So the text you just heard Deacon Terry proclaim um, was in last week's guide, because what we're doing is providing the guide a week ahead of time. So the guide for next week's weekend, next Sunday, is in this weekend's bulletin, so you can plan ahead in, in all sorts of ways. So the text for the gospel is in there. We have a family fun activity. That sounds a little corny, I know, but it can be used for any age. You don't have to be a kindergartner to use it. I think even some of you who might be retired would find some of the family activities um, helpful. Uh, we have a family prayer to focus on. Sometimes it's connected with a family activity. And then a recipe of the week. So uh, trying to promote families having dinner together, at least on Sundays, gathering around uh, a Sunday meal. But the thing I'm most excited about, in addition to just doing this in general, are every week we're providing two discussion questions based on the gospel so that families can read the gospel and then discuss it. And we say, oh, Father, that sounds painful. Not so fast. A couple years ago at the Thirst Conference down at the Civic Center, one of the keynote speakers was talking about the most effective way of passing on the faith to one's family, how to have the faith, the foundation of one's home. And of course, we can say, well, going to Mass, faith formation, Catholic schools, uh, praying before meals. What is it? Like, what's the secret to passing on the faith? This keynote speaker who lives in this world said that a lot of studies show that one of the keys is meaningful conversation. Conversation amongst husbands and wives, parents and children, about things that matter. Think about it for a second. Think how often it is tempting just to say surface level in the most important relationships. Now, that doesn't even mean we need to talk about weird, deep things all the time. Not so, no. But having meaningful conversations about things that matter most is what this person said the studies show are the key to living the faith in one's family. Meaningful conversation. And so those discussion questions are there to provide a certain arena for those conversations to hopefully take place. So I hope you find this guide will keep doing it uh, helpful for you or your family. That being said, two hopefully meaningful points about today's gospel. First one is this. Everyone, did you notice the question that Jesus asked the very first apostles, the very first disciples? 
What did he ask them? What are you looking for? Isn't that a question that resonates with you? What are you looking for? What's the answer? Now, we know what the answer is supposed to be, right? What are you looking for? The answer is supposed to be God and Jesus and holiness and friendship with Christ. That's what the answer is supposed to be. That's how I want to answer the question. But we know, of course, that that's not always the answer. So what are you looking for? Jesus asks. This question isn't just for Andrew and Simon and the apostles. Everyone, this question's for us. What are you looking for? A promotion? A raise? A different tax bracket? Different views on politics? What are you looking for? What are you looking for? I want to try to answer the question this way, okay? I don't know how many of you have heard of the proofs for God's existence before from St. Thomas Aquinas. Aquinas talks about different ways, five different ways, in fact, of trying to prove in a rational, argumentative way that God exists. That we can come to the conclusion that God exists through just using our reason and analyzing certain things in the world. Okay, that's a proof for God's existence. I want to cite this evening a different proof for God's existence that's a bit more recent than the Middle Ages. It comes from C.S. Lewis. Remember C.S. Lewis? He uh, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia that were made into a Disney movie here about 15 years ago. C.S. Lewis explains what is called the argument from desire to try to prove that God exists. So let's follow this for a moment. I know it's late. It's Sunday night. There's no football on. Don't worry, okay? Argument from desire. Every human person has a desire. You're a human person. You have desires. We have natural desires. Natural desires such as food. Natural desires such as water or thirst. Natural desires such as friendship and unity in relationships, right? Every person has natural desires. Well, guess what? Every natural desire that you have, guess what exists? Something to satisfy that desire, right? You have a desire for food, what exists? Food. You thirst, guess what exists? Water and other things to drink. You have a desire for friendship. Guess what exists? Friends. To every natural desire you and I have, there's a corresponding satisfaction to that desire. Let's take that one step further now. You know that desire we have in our hearts that nothing can fill on this earth? You know that, uh, isn't there something more than food and drink? Isn't there something more than material goods or success? Isn't there something more? Do you know what we call that? An infinite desire. A desire that is beyond the finiteness of this world. It's infinite. You have an infinite desire if you have a human soul. It's that, oh, right here. Well, here's the good news. What's the only thing that can satisfy an infinite desire? The infinite himself. 
The fact that you have a desire that can't be filled in this earth means there's something beyond this earth, namely God, that can satisfy our hearts. What are you looking for? Okay, I'm halfway done. You thought I was almost done? I'm halfway done. Point number two. Did you notice that Andrew, Andrew the Apostle, was the one that went and told Peter about this guy named Jesus? Did you know that Andrew was the one that brought Peter to Jesus? Not the other way around. Everyone thinks Peter's first. No, Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. Imagine what this world would look like if that hadn't happened. We probably wouldn't even be here. Who knows? Because Peter, of course, was chosen to be the first pope, the chief of the apostles. Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. The first disciple brought Peter to Jesus. Every single disciple here has a responsibility of bringing people to Jesus. Now we hear that and we say, I don't want to be pushy. Don't, please. I don't want to be preachy. Don't. Then what do I do, right? Not everyone's like Peter that just drops everything and says, okay, Andrew, I'll go right with you. It doesn't work like that. So what happens when it seems like our efforts of bringing people to Jesus are in vain? How about by just praying for them? How about during our times of adoration, holding that person up in prayer? How about when we come to Mass and we don't know what to do during the offertory because... We're wondering if Father Johnson fell asleep. <laughs> How about thinking about who we're going to place on the altar and offer to God? How about that? I've used this example before that sometimes we feel like our prayers don't work, right? We're praying for somebody that's sick and they don't get better. We're praying that somebody, for somebody who's attached to sin and there's no freedom. We're praying for somebody to come back to the church and nothing seems to happen. Does that mean your prayers are lousy? No. The example I like to use is a fire. When you hold something up to a fire, what do you want to do? You want to warm that thing up, right? You want it to get warm. Do you have to convince the fire? Do you have to convince the fire to put out heat. No, that'd be silly, wouldn't it? What does the fire do in its very nature? What is the fire? The fire is heat. Using that analogy, God is love. So when we're holding people up to God in prayer, we don't have to convince God to love them. We have to just hold them up and let God do what he does best because God is love. What are you looking for? We're looking for God. We're looking for the infinite. Bringing people to Jesus in prayer. Holding them up to the fire.